Welcome to Soft Landing, the podcast that makes interior design accessible to everyone. Hey guys, I'm Amy. I'm an interior designer, artist, and space planner. I'm here to talk about everything you need to know about interior design, from furniture to finances. I'm sharing over a decade of experience to help you find real design solutions and craft the space of your dreams. Hey there, cuties. Thanks so much for tuning in to part two of our wood series. In part one, we went through the most common wood species, how they're used, and why each one is special and unique in its own way. And if you haven't listened to that episode, there is a link to it in the show notes of this episode for you. But today, we are taking it to the next level in the world of wood. I'm going to walk you through the different techniques to make the wood in your home look exactly how you want it to look. There is so much more to wood than just the species, although species is the foundation. By the time you're done with this episode, you're going to want to build your own woodworking shed because we're talking about some stuff that lets you really sit in the driver's seat when it comes to how the wood you use in your home looks and feels. Let's get started. When I was a baby designer, I thought that all you could really do with wood was stain it or paint it. I had no idea what the difference was between a 2x4 or a sheet of plywood, and I almost didn't care. It's just wood. How deep can it be? It turns out it's about as deep as an Olympic diving pool because the world of wood has so many different ways to customize and craft furniture, floors, and paneling. Do you ever wonder how the wood in your home got there? As in, it used to be a tree someone cut it down and now it's a bookshelf? What happens in the middle? They don't just load logs of wood into the bookshelf mold and out they pop, right? No, they don't. Once a tree is cut down, it's taken to a mill and sometimes a portable bandsaw is brought to the tree itself to mill it in place. But the sawyer has to already know exactly how they will cut up the log. There are four distinct geometric patterns that are used to mill a log into lumber. These are referred to as live sawn, plain sawn, quarter sawn, and riff cut. Which cut you use makes a huge difference in how the finished product looks, whether the grain looks wild and natural or straight and controlled. If you think about having a stack of pancakes, you may choose all kinds of different ways to cut your pancakes up so you can eat them. And it's a similar visual to how a log can be cut. Starting with the most basic and straightforward, you have live sawn. Keeping with our pancake analogy, you would just be cutting long parallel strips all going in the same direction. And frankly, this would be a little hard to eat for pancakes because the full width of the pancake is still being maintained. But 
when it comes to logging, this method wastes very little of the log and yields boards that are as wide as they possibly can be. So if you're looking for super wide floor planks, Livesawn may be your friend. This is also the fastest way to mill wood, so it provides the most affordable cut of wood. I have to take us on a detour here because it's important to understand the different types of growth within a single tree. If you look at the side of a cut log the same way you would to count its rings to determine its age, you will see two different colors of wood inside. The innermost ring of wood is typically slightly darker in color and comprises the majority of the tree. This is called heartwood. It's technically not the living part of the tree, but this wood has reached its full potential in terms of becoming lumber. It's aged like a fine balsamic vinegar. This is where most of our favorite species have developed their well-known colors, and because the wood is not part of the tree's active sap production, it's already somewhat dry and will be most resistant to pests and warping. It's highly prized by woodworkers. Now the outer ring of a log is typically lighter in color, and this is just the newest growth of the tree. This is referred to as sapwood. It is very much alive and a critical part of the tree's living systems, transporting water from the roots to the branches, creating sap, seed production, the whole life cycle. Sapwood is not quite what we think of in terms of the color of any particular species of wood. If you have a dark piece of walnut, for instance, and there are some lighter streaks in it, that's probably the sapwood. Its role in the tree's circulatory system means that the wood has a much higher moisture content than the heartwood, and therefore it's more susceptible to shrinking and warping. Back to our types of cuts. With live sawn wood, you're getting both the heartwood and the sapwood just as they are on the tree. You're also getting maximum visibility of the natural grain. Grain is how we refer to the direction and pattern of the fiber in the tree. A tree's grain runs vertically up and down the length of its trunk. When the tree is cut straight across, as is the case of live sawn lumber, it exposes all the variations, the figuring, and cathedrals in the grain. As I mentioned in part one of this series, cathedrals are the wavy arches that show up in the wood's grain. The next way to cut a log is using the plain sawn or flat sawn method. This is the most common way that logs are milled and is similar to the live sawn method, except after each cut, the log is rotated 90 degrees. It's a little bit less like cutting pancakes and more like eating corn on the cob. This is still very efficient and creates minimal waste, but unlike live sawn, it separates the sapwood from the heartwood because the blade starts on the outside of the log and works inward. The cathedrals and variation in the grain are still very pronounced, and the look of the wood is active and wild. Then we get into the more elaborate methods of cutting a log, the first of which is quarter sawing. This method gets its name from the beginning of the process, cutting the log into halves lengthwise and then cutting those halves in half again to create quarters. Each quarter 
is then cut into boards, either one of two ways. The first, more traditional method, is cutting the quarter wedge consistently over and over again at a 45 degree angle. The second, more modern approach, is cutting the quarter wedge at a 90 degree angle and flipping the wedge back and forth with each cut, slicing alternating faces of the log to maintain even graining. Both methods create boards of wood that are quite straight in grain. The cathedrals of plane and live sawing have vanished, and the only variation you'll see is from any medullary rays, which are a secondary grain that form basically a sunburst pattern in the log, where normal graining is the concentric ring pattern we normally think of in trees. These two patterns exist together in all trees, but medullary rays are most visible in oak, especially when it's quarter sawn. So the grain becomes more linear when you choose quarter sawing, but if you're looking for the tightest, most linear cathedral free grain, you've got to go with a rift cut. The word rift comes from the word rive, which refers to splitting a piece of wood along its radius. Meaning, rift cut wood is cutting off the log the way you would cut slices of cake. Very skinny slices of cake that are rectangular. Well, okay, maybe that's not the best analogy, but you get the idea, right? Because these cuts of wood are rectangular and radial in nature. So they end up creating the most waste of any of the other techniques of sawing. And therefore, this is the most expensive cut of wood. But for those of us who abhor wood cathedrals, it's well worth the money. I was taught a long time ago that rift cut was the only proper way to feature wood in a space. The gaudy cathedrals of plain or live sawn were just so incredibly low brow. We want straight lines, no imperfections. These days, I find it really comes down mostly to personal taste. And honestly, if cathedraling really bothers you that much, maybe you shouldn't be using wood for your project. It's an inherent quality of the material, and many people consider it to be beautiful. I think it just adds a little bit of psychedelic radial tie-dye effect to a space. And if that feels good to you, embrace it. One thing that's good to keep in mind functionally is that rift and quarter sawn are the most dimensionally stable of all the cuts. So if you want to make sure the wood you're using will have the absolute least amount of warping and shrinking, these cuts do aid in that cause. Okay, one last cut type to know about, and that's the rotary cut. Imagine a piece of paper that's been rolled into a tight cylinder, and then you unroll it. That's the process of the rotary cut. A special blade is used to essentially peel the wood off the log. I always think of that scene in Sleepless in Seattle where Meg Ryan peels an apple with a knife in one long curly strip. This type of milling is mostly used to create wood veneer, which is then adhered to a lower cost backing like MDF or chipboard. And all of these methods can be used to create veneer if they are sliced thinly. So what's your favorite cut? And on top of that, if you listen to part one of this series, when you start mixing and matching species and grain cuts, the combinations of the look and feel of wood are really endless. 
But <laughs> there's another factor to consider because you're not just going to leave your wood naked, right? There are so many ways to finish your wood, and once you've spent so much time and care selecting the species and grain type, painting should hardly cross your mind. Painting wood tends to fill in the pores of the wood and hide the grain variation. So unless you're working with a piece of wood that you really dislike, if you're reusing old scrap wood or something, painting isn't the best way to celebrate your wood. In fact, what's popular right now for wood flooring and wood furniture is to finish the wood in a process prior to staining and sealing called wire brushing. It's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. The idea is to remove some of the softest grain on the face of the wood to help the natural organic texture of the wood be more visible. This is done with a wire brush. This also gives a slightly antique look to the wood. If you're interested in adjusting the color of the wood that you have, there are a few tried and true methods of doing so. You can choose to stain or dye your wood in the event that you want it to maybe match other items already in your home or you just couldn't get a hold of the color of wood that you want. It happens. There are plenty of pigment-based stains and dyes that come in all colors of the rainbow. Stains and dyes will soak into the wood and accentuate the graining and contrast. There are store-bought dyes, and then there are the more old-fashioned ways of staining. Coffee has been used to give woods a rich brown finish for years. Mixing coffee grounds with vinegar produces a natural stain, but you'll definitely want to put a clear coat of sealant on top to make sure it doesn't wear off. Another fun way of darkening your wood is to soak steel wool and nails in vinegar to create a super dark black stain. This process will vary wildly depending on the species of wood you're using. Different species take stains differently, so make sure to do a test area before you commit to doing the whole piece. This process of making wood look black is referred to as ebonizing. And while it technically encompasses many different black stain varieties, ebonizing wood is a great way to make a wood darker without hiding its grain and texture. On the complete opposite side of the spectrum, there is the process of pickling, which is different from what you do to foods. This is also known as liming, and sometimes people will call it bleaching, although you can actually bleach wood, which is a slightly more complicated process. The idea is to mix a small amount of white paint with water, brush it on the wood, and then wipe it away, leaving a lighter color. Again, still lots of visibility of the grain, variation, the color, and texture. Then, of course, you have to seal and protect your wood. There are a variety of ways to finish your wood, and finishing wood is super important because it provides protection from environmental wear like sunlight and humidity. It also protects the wood from us pesky humans. Our glasses of ice water coated in condensation, our clumsiness, our muddy shoes that we forget to clean up. There are actually a lot of ways to seal and protect your wood. They all have varying strengths for different purposes, but there are two main types of finishes, oil and surface finishes. 
If you choose to finish your wood with oil, you have a variety to choose from. Linseed, cedar, tongue oil, even a processed product called Danish oil. These oils soak into the wood rather than simply laying on the surface. Oil finishes are truly gorgeous. They interact with the wood in a way that brings out their natural colors, and they leave a matte and subtle-looking finish, rather than some of the glossier finishes we'll talk about in a minute. Oil is a very sustainable choice, free of chemical odors or VOCs, and it's easy to apply with a cloth. However, oils don't offer an incredible amount of protection for wood, but if you know the wood you're using won't get too much wear and tear, oil is a wonderful option. Surface finishes sit on top of the face of wood, and this categorizes the majority of wood finishes. Firstly, there's wax. Wax is a little bit less of a finish and more of a treatment. It will give wood protection from environmental factors, and it will look as though the wood is still completely unfinished. However, wax does not offer protection from moisture, scratching, or general wear and tear. Plus, it needs to be reapplied often. This can be a nice final top coat to an already sealed piece, or it can be a great way to bring a vintage or antique piece back to life. Then we have varnish. Varnish dates all the way back to being used by the ancient Egyptians and was originally formulated from the resin in tree sap, which is very resourceful to be sealing the wood of a tree with the resin also from a tree. Today, varnish is a broad term that encompasses many different formulas from oil-based, polyurethane, water-based acrylic, lacquer, shellac. All of these options are brushed on top of the wood to seal it and protect it from the world in general. The variations in each type will help you decide what is best for your project. Spar or marine varnish is best for anything that is outdoors. Polyurethanes are popular for flooring because of the extremely durable finish they provide, and this can be used over top of an oil finish to achieve a both durable and beautiful finish. Water-based acrylic varnishes are great for indoor use as they are free of VOCs and resist yellowing over time. Shellac was super popular years ago. It coats easily and enhances the look of wood, but it is very sensitive to heat and moisture, stains easily, and it's made from insect secretions, which is kind of a living nightmare, if you ask me. I wanted to just touch on using wood in commercial or public spaces just for fun. This is if you're using wood in an office, restaurant, cafe, co-working space, anywhere people gather. Using wood as flooring in a commercial environment can be slightly tricky. The level of wear and tear in a commercial environment is exponentially higher than in a home and wood can get pretty easily destroyed. One of the techniques that is used on wood furniture to strengthen it is using a UV light to cure both oil and water-based sealants. It's a lot like the process of getting a gel manicure, although the UV light comes from a machine that looks like a possessed vacuum, which is kind of fun, actually. 
but this allows the sealant on the wood to cure much faster and be considerably more durable, which is what we like in commercial applications. There's also the process of infusing wood with acrylic. There's a really fantastic company called Nidri Flooring that does this, and it allows the wood to be more water resistant and 300% more dent resistant than regular wood. These are processes that definitely cost more, but if you like the look of wood and you're worried about its longevity, you have access to these options and there's no reason you can't use them in your home as well if you've got pets or just a very busy home life with tons of visitors. As we end our two-part series on wood, let me leave you with this quote from our friend Frank Lloyd Wright. Wood is universally beautiful. It's the most humanly intimate of all materials. I'll talk to you in the next episode. 